0: Welcome back to Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, and for Week 35's podcast, we have a great review of our weekly Western United Dairies Kitchen Table Virtual Webinar, which was hosted by Kevin Piercy of Raimundo & Associates. In today's episode, Kevin will cover all things employers should know right now in December of 2020 to deal with the COVID surges throughout California. Additionally, Tiffany, our awesome economist, provides a market update for the week, and Rochelle Echeverria is here with a message from Luchero Unidos de California. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hello, hope everybody had a great week. It was a mixed one for the dairy markets. The class four space actually enjoyed uh, the largest gains. We closed butter at $1.48 up 12 cents, and non-fat dry milk at $1.15 up five and a half. The cheese space, however, remained under pressure. We lost uh, another nine and a half cents on blocks down to one fifty-eight fifty, and another two and a quarter cents on barrels down to one forty. Certainly, um, anecdotal reports suggest declining uh, restaurant demand uh, due both to colder weather across the nation as well as uh, tighter restrictions. Certainly, piling on here uh, with our, you know, pending stay-at-home orders in California, uh, the restaurant industry is kind of backtracking from gains they made over the summertime we're also seeing a lot of discounted milk in the Midwest, keeping cheese plants pretty full, as well as that new plant uh, in Michigan continuing to uh, uh, fire fire up uh, with uh, full output kind of expected by uh, early next spring. Uh, looking back at Thanksgiving sales, it really uh, looked pretty positive on the butter front, which we expected. Retail sales for the week ending November 20th. Tw- uh, 22nd we're up 10% for butter. We also had a few reports this week. Uh, we started off the week with a pretty positive global dairy trade event, uh, most likely lending support to our domestic uh, non-fat uh, markets and butter as well. The skim milk powder contract and the latest GDT was up a 3.2% to $1.31 um, with demand out of China looking pretty good. We also got the dairy products report. Uh, butter was uh, production was up 1.2 percent year over year, uh, telling of you know again plenty of bulk butter uh, production and availability in the market. And non-fat dry milk production was up 4.3 uh, percent. That pro- helped propel inventories a little bit higher as well for the month, uh, putting them at seven uh, about 7.8 percent year over year. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk with you next week. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our communities safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com slash safety.
0: Hi, my name is Rochelle, and I help out with Lecheros the Lecheros Unidos California's program. Lechero's program will be closed starting December 7th, and we'll be back at it again starting Monday, January 4th. We will help you and assist you when we get back, and if you haven't signed up for Lechero's,
1: you still can, and it's easy. Just email me at r-a-s-h-e-l-l at It will
0: automatically send your requests, and we will help you upon our return. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to everyone. Thank
2: you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, We're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you.
0: Okay, well, welcome everyone to today's Western United Dairies kitchen table meeting, virtual um, kitchen table meeting, as we've been doing for the past few months. I would like to welcome Kevin Piercy, an attorney with Raimondo and Associates in Fresno. As you all know, Tony and his team have been huge friends to Western United for many years and to our dairy producers and so we're just really glad to have you today Kevin and here to discuss a hot topic in the industry
2: thank you it's a pleasure to be here
0: so Kevin we'll let you go ahead and get started um as I mentioned before we are recording so if anyone has an issue just let me know and um if you have questions feel free to put them in the chat raise your hand or jump in as needed
2: okay um did you have anything you wanted uh you you want me to address first or is there um Um, you want me just free free wheel this
0: you know based on our outline kevin we were i i think the questions we're getting most are um as i mentioned in relation to the osha new emergency rule that's a really big topic Mm -hmm. and any other of those new rules that have come out recently or that are changing quickly um one of the big things is dairy producers want to know the top handful of things they should be doing to protect their staff And then a really big, important question we get a lot is, and I've called you guys about this quite a few times, exactly what steps, um, at this point in time, if a producer had an employee come to them with a COVID-19 diagnosis, they should take?
2: Okay. So the first thing, the first line of defense here that every employer should be taking is they need to inform their employees about their benefits that are available. Now, so uh, for all all employees, uh, employers that have five hundred uh, fewer than five hundred employees, they qualify under the um, FFCRA, the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, and that is what uh, is what so far has been um, actually very helpful in stopping in, in slowing the spread of coronavirus. It provides up to eighty hours of, uh, of pay for the employees, and uh, while that does come out of the employer's uh, the employer, uh, money, the federal government also does give a, um, a tax uh, credit for that. So that is at least uh, somewhat offset, so, so it makes it a little bit more palatable. If you have 500 or more employees, which is very rare with dairies, but um, if you have 500 or more employees, then you would fall under the California um, supplemental uh, paid sick leave uh, requirements, which allows for... Uh, again, the same 80 hours of pay, um, the maximum, of the 511 dollars a day, 51, uh, 5110 over you know that 10-day period. But that uh, doesn't come with any tax credit, and that is you know, it's applicable to every California business that is 500 or more employees throughout the entire uh, United States and its territories. So it's um, you know it's going to affect a lot of the, a lot of the businesses. So the first thing that, that's important though is to, is to let them know that they have these leaves available because that they need to be, your employees need to be aware that they they have this leave So that way they don't come in and they don't potentially infect everybody else. So that's the, the very first thing that needs to be happen is let them know about their benefits. And then you let them know about um, the proper uh, you know, the importance of of cleaning, uh, the importance of washing their hands, of wearing face masks, wearing the proper PPE and and taking care of themselves. Uh, After uh, we've given this, I'm just gonna give a a, a real brief of like the main points before going into it further. Um, But after uh, informing the employees, the next important thing is to pre-screen your, start pre-screening your employees for symptoms. Now, uh, we are all, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone here is as a, uh, you know, California employer, we are uh, already doing this. And so, you know, we're just going to continue screening our employees before they come in. We need to check them every day for, um, for their temperature, uh, make sure that it's not a uh, 100.4 or higher fever. Uh, and we need to make sure that they don't have any symptoms of coronavirus or uh, of COVID-19. Um, so the coughing, sneezing, shortness of breath, new loss of smell or, uh, or taste um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Unfo- the, the unfortunate part here is that many of the coronavirus, uh, sorry, the COVID-19 symptoms are actually synonymous with the cold and flu. And, and, and it's going to be coming up right now. And a lot of the, you know, I was just talking to several people uh, earlier today talking about, um, you know, we see at level. of hospitals are, are filled up with people, but it's actually, a lot of it is, flu symptoms and, and things like that they, they do eventually um, show that so I mean there, there is still the flu going around there are still are you know the seasonal you know the common cold is going around and unfortunately these kind of things compound on one, one another and and it's hard to, to distinguish them so when the employee comes in with some of these symptoms then it's really important to, uh to stop them before they come in so that way they're not coming in and infecting everybody or at least exposing everybody to whatever they may or may not have. It's of course going to be difficult as a um, as an agricultural uh, business because with so many employees outside uh, in California we have a lot of um, a lot of allergies which again can cause the same type of symptoms so that's something that is uh, is frustrating but is something that we do need to be cognizant of, of uh, we just can't even risk having these employees come in because it's going to cause a lot of potential downfalls. Um, it could even cause a full shutdown of the entire the entire site in the most extreme kind of cases. Uh, let's see. The next, it's important you guys need to make sure that we, uh, that the employees are wearing all of their uh, required PPE, which as of now, I'm sorry, as of, uh, as of two days ago, is mandatory. If you're indoors and you're near anyone else, you have to be wearing a mask. If you're in a room by yourself, you don't have to wear a mask. I am in, currently in an office by myself, so I don't have to wear a mask, but as soon as I leave my office and start uh, you know, going into the hallways, I have to mask up. Um, if your employees are outside, they don't have to wear a mask if they can maintain six feet of distance. And that's, that's going to be something that uh, is going to be very important that uh, you know, the dairymen are, are keeping an eye out for because on the dairies, the employees are very often by themselves. They don't interact with each other a whole lot. They're often, they're often distant. So, I mean, if you've been relying so far on, uh, on the fact that we have, um, you know, on, on the fact that the, the previous guidance was if you're outside, you know, like fine. So, you know, to in, you know, more indoors is where you have to mask out. So a lot of, a lot of uh, employers up to, you know, up to uh, December 1st were allowing their employees who were outside to not wear a mask. Now we have to make sure that they have a mask on them and that it's you know, not in their pocket kind of thing where it could potentially infect you know, everything within their pocket and, and then transfer when they move along those kind of lines. So we need to make sure that employees are aware that they need to be wearing masks and carry masks with them in case they do come within six feet of each other. So that way you don't have cal OSHA coming, coming down and you trying to uh, you know, make a, a you know, 15 you know, plus thousand dollar fine. Or uh, maybe even potentially shutting down business until full compliance is met. Um, I personally think that, that one of the things that that's the the most important thing to take away from this is that we need to be open and honest with our employees. We need to let them know, yes, this is what we're doing. We you know we understand that there is you know th- there are these risks, and we're going to do what we have to to um, you know to, to mitigate those, but we're also going to let you know hey, you have the, this FFCRA leave. You have this emergency paid sick leave and, and the expanded uh, FMLA leave for when, um, you know, if their kids can't go back to school or the, you know, go to childcare. Uh, so that way they can be paid somewhat while doing that, you know, for COVID 19 reason. So it's important that, that we just be open and honest with the employees that they don't. Um, because they, they, they need, at the end of the day, they do need to trust the employer, that the employer, we are going to look out for them. Because if they don't trust the employer, then they're going to keep coming in when they're sick. Because they're going to say, hey, if, if I try to take the leave, if I try to go out, you know, they'll probably fire me. And then they're not going to go out. They're not going to let you know. And the next thing you know, that employee got sick. But they've been around all of your other employees. They've been exposing everybody. And now everybody's been exposed. You have to do a 14-day shutdown. Or you would have to jump through the hoops and uh, try to get your local health department to uh, offer you the uh, critical infrastructure employee exception, which would allow exposed but asymptomatic employees to continue working. But you have to then meet extra requirements on, on safety standards for that.
0: I will mention that we had a dairy, two dairies in Sonoma County that did that um, this summer, Kevin. And it, for anyone that's thinking, that's a a good option. It's a last resort, and it is not easy, and it is not fun. I mean, looking back on it, it's something that the dairies dealt with, and it was, you know, it worked out. But it's going through it is definitely a, a very stressful
2: situation.
0: So just to kind of echo that, let's try our hardest to keep our employees healthy.
2: That, that absolutely. Thank you, Melissa. That is an absolutely last resort type of situation because at the end of the day, you have to, so if, if you're trying to, to use that uh, critical infrastructure employee exception, you have to comply with all of the, all of the mandates of your local health department, which they're going to comply with the CDPH and with the CDC, but they may be also, you know, they, they may have even stricter requirements that their county has based upon you know whatever criteria is going on there. And you know we've seen, we've seen already throughout this year that, you know, different governmental institutions have taken extremely hard line avenues. Um, they've, you know, in some people's opinion, they've stepped overstepped bounds of what what is permitted, but until it's been fully rebutted in court, it's still it's still what's going to be controlling. And So you still have to jump through all those hoops. And even then, you have to make sure that your own workplace is in compliance. So you have to make sure that all of your PPE is set up, that all of your procedures are in compliance with the CDC, CDPH, and your local health department. Um, You would also then have to, in order to have that specific exception apply, you have to make sure that your employee is masked the entire time. like the entire time that they're at work, except for if they're eating, but they would have to be separated from everyone else. They have to be screened before they come into work, which of course, is, as you know, responsible employers, we're already doing. And so they get screened before they come in, but then it's incumbent you know, upon you to go in, uh, continue screening them throughout the day. You have to keep checking in on these people, let in and at the first sign of any sort of symptoms, they get sent home. And as we've already, you know, mentioned before is, I mean, right now we have the common cold, we have allergies, we have flu season, we have all sorts of rate, you know, just general everyday respiratory illnesses that could present as, you know, the same, the same uh, symptomology as uh, COVID-19. So it, it's gonna be extremely difficult in that regard. Um, so it, it is a, it is a very, a, a very difficult time uh, a, or a difficult process that you, and very strict uh, procedures that you have to follow to get that specific exception.
0: Kevin, we have a quick question in the chat about the FFCRA leave. This has come up prior, but basically the FFCRA leave is a one-time deal from our understanding. So you have 80 hours of sick time for the employee. If they choose to take it, um, You know, what kind of what parameters should we follow if an employee thinks they've been exposed, but they're not sure, or they think they might be um, COVID-19 positive, but they're not sure. How do we work around um, that leave and the possibility that they're not positive and they may need it in the future if they do test positive down the
2: road? That's again, thank you. Um, That goes back to the very first point that I made. The most important thing here is to inform your employees, make sure that they are educated on what is available and and their rights and and their um, and those, uh, those duties that they get. So here's the thing. It is extremely important that they understand that it's 80 hours and that it's, you know, it's, it's their regular rate of pay over, you know, uh, over the last pay period. It's, um, it, you know, they have all these, these great benefits, right? Sounds good. Hey, I'm going I'm, to, I'm not feeling well today. I'm going to take it. We'll see. That's when we also need to let them know, hold on one time deal. This is one time and this expires uh, at the end of the year. So, I mean, we're all pretty sure that this is going to be extended um, you know, much farther where our, most, many of the other laws have already, you know, are already prepping for multiple years of, of dealing with these COVID-19 issues. So it's um, highly likely that the FFCRA will be extended um, into 2021, but they do need to be informed that this is a one-time deal you take this and it's not going to replenish you're not going to have you know you're not going to have paid leave you you will still have protected leave you can still go home you know and and do that but you're not going to qualify for the for the additional pay you're not going to qualify for for you know for that reasons and so it's your risk Um, I've, you know, we've had some uh, some of our clients have talked with their employees and and once they educated their employees on this, um, they saw that the employees were because before they had had been um, taking multiple times and and the company had actually been paying out for multiple 80 hour, uh, 80 hour sessions. But once they informed the employees, oh, wait, you know, this is we've been doing this wrong, that this is a one time deal. So we're not going to extend this anymore. You get one shot, 80 hours, and then you're done. Then you started to see the the employees stopped taking so much leave. Then they only were taking it when they absolutely needed it. Because, hey, uh, I'm not feeling well. I've, I've worked really hard the last couple of weeks. I just want some time off. But then, hey, we are in the time of year. You know, these spikes are going up. There's a, you know, the quote unquote second wave is going on. If you if you really want to to take your leave, go ahead. And by all means, please do, because if it, if you are actually at risk, if you if you believe that you've been exposed, don't come in and expose everyone else. But if it is well, I was really exposed, or I, you know, it, it was an exposure to an exposure type of, of situation. You know, they might be more more hesitant to use it once they realize that. 80 hours is, is a one time deal.
0: Yeah, One example that was given is that an employee chose to travel to Mexico and then asked mm-hmm. to use that leave to quarantine for 14 days. Um, and then down the road when he may have been exposed was shocked to find out that he did not have paid leave. He had the ability to, to leave and quarantine, but it was no longer paid. So. Yeah. I think it's really good that dairymen and, and in turn their employees have an understanding of that 80 hours and what that means.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you, by, by letting your employees know this from the very get go and, and explaining to them answering all the questions when they have them and, and just making sure that everyone's comfortable and understands is that you're not going to have, like in this situation, you just described Melissa, um, you know, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that employee felt that they were, you know, that they were ambushed. That What do you mean? You know, you you're taking advantage of me for allowing me to do this. And it's, it's not that it's, there's nothing nefarious going on. It is, it is simply everyone's playing catch up right now. No, you know, everything was very fluid. Everything's been going on. And now that we have, are, are getting a better grasp and understanding about that. And so the, it was just a miscommunication. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't something nefarious, but now that employee, they believe that they were targeted, that they may have been retaliated against, they may try to make a claim. You know, they, they may say, hey, you know, you're retaliating against me for this, for whatever reason, or they could just go and they can spread discontent with the, with the other employees. And, you know, when, once you start going down that route, then if there's any employees who's already been discontent with with any anything else, and they, that could just be the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and they may go seek some sort of, you know, you know attorney to try to get you know, some, even some frivolous lawsuit that will get them a, a small payout because, hey, why not? You're taking advantage of the employees. So we're just going to, you know, take the fight back to you. And right.
0: Which I think makes it probably even more important to kind of clarify, like, folks need to really be cognizant of how they document that on their pay stubs mm-hmm. and work with their accountant or their payroll professionals to make sure like things are documented well. I think um, in the case, uh, that I was, you know, the example I used, it just, it was more frustration than anything, but you're right. I think documenting this kind of stuff is super important so that that frustration doesn't turn into someone seeking a legal remedy for something they're not entitled to.
2: Yeah. And then make sure, I mean, one one of the, one of the good practices you guys can do for this is to then, so you, you know, you already have on their, on their pay stubs, whereas the three mandated California, uh, paid sick leave days. And so you have your 24 hours or, or 30 hours, I mean, dairymen, so you get three days. It's, it's real. In reality, it's 30 hours. Uh, so that's going to be on their, on their pay stub. Okay. Now you just have an, an additional entry underneath that saying, well, you have the, you know, the California paid sick leave above. Now you just have FFCRA, or if you have 500 more employees, then California supplemental paid sick leave. And that'll just be a straight 80 hours available. From the very get go, they don't have to earn that time. That is immediately available as soon as they're hired. So um, that and that that should be on their pay stub um, because at the end of the day, that employee needs to be aware of, of what's of what's there, and, and they need to be uh, they need to be aware so that way when they take it, they can't they can't come back and, and claim, oh, I, I didn't take that leave. I wasn't aware that it was a one-time thing. No. It's it's a great way to document it. It's going to show, and that way, especially if there's any lawsuits down the line. I mean, we we don't know uh, what's going to happen, um, you know, yeah, in in the grand scheme of things when it comes to you know employment law uh, on on this specific issue. So have it on have it on your on your pay though. So that way, down the line, it's not even going to be a problem. You can show, nope, we followed. You know, we were in full compliance, and we we documented everything.
0: Great. One last question, Kevin, about the issue or the topics you covered already um, is masks. Uh, Producer question, uh, they have an employee that is not interested in wearing a mask on the dairy. Um, I think that probably happens in a lot of different industries. There's some strong Mm -hmm. opinions about it, but that is the law right now. So what should an employer do? They noted that uh, dismissing this employee would significantly impact their ability to operate. So they don't want to fire someone over it, but they're in a weird position because of the legal requirements.
2: Yeah. um, Just letting first let again all comes back to communication, right? Let them know this isn't you. You're not the one saying that they have to do this. This is the government saying this and you are being held to, to the standard just as just as much as they are. So it's an equal equal opportunity, you know, uh, you know kind of situation. Everyone's everyone's getting hit the same. Now, for those employees, so the the mask mandate, the Cal OSHA mask mandate, um, requires. Here, let, let me pull up uh, real fast. I'm gonna read off uh, something here. So, let's see. Where's the face mask? Okay. So the, you know, all employees while indoors, uh, while they are outdoors and less than six feet away from another person, and were required by orders from the CDPH or the local health department, have to wear a face covering, a cloth face covering. There are several exceptions to this. Okay. So the exceptions are when an employee is alone in a room. While eating or drinking at the uh, at the workplace, provided that employees are at least six feet apart from uh, and they are outside, uh, and that there's an outside air supply to the area, uh, or if indoors, uh, has been maximized to be the extent possible. So uh, let's see. There's also employees who cannot wear face coverings due to a medical or mental health condition or disability, or who are uh, hearing impaired, or communicating with a hearing impaired person, or uh, the employee is performing a, a specific task which cannot feasibly be performed with a face covering, limited to the time period in which uh, such tasks are actually being performed, and the unmasked employee is at least six feet away from all other persons, unless the unmasked employees are tested at least twice weekly for COVID-19." That's the big kicker here, right? So in the, in the show, uh, uh new regulations, they have, so that the, the one that we're gonna see, I, I believe we're gonna see most uh, people trying to take advantage of is the uh, employees can wear face coverings due to a medical or mental health condition or disability. Well, you know, hey, look, I have anxiety and putting on a mask just, it makes me anxious. I can't do it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a condition. It's not a disability, it's just a condition I have. And, and really, you know, trying to get documentation for that's going. So you're, you, you know, as a compassionate employer, okay, hey, look, you don't have to wear that. That's fine. Well, they they took that into account. You have to now wear a face shield with a cloth drape. And uh, the employee says, well, <laughs> actually, I, uh, you know, I have a medical condition. You know, my mental my mental health or medical condition, or I can't I can't do it. Still want to allow for that. It's just something being on the face. Maybe it's claustrophobic. Who knows? Okay, that's fine. You can continue working. You got to stay away from everyone, six feet apart, all that. But now you have to start paying, you have to start uh, paying to have them tested twice a week on the clock, right? This isn't, you know, and this is something that, uh, you know, again, we can communicate with the employees and let them know that you're going to get tested twice a week. That's the plain and simple. If you don't want to wear any sort of face covering, that's the only way that you can continue working. And the, the types of tests aren't exactly the most non-invasive. I mean, you have that, that long, uh, you know, the long Q-tip that tickles the back of your brain, you know, kind of thing. And, and people aren't, you know, fond of that. And if that's what you have to do, they're probably going to opt to, hey, rather than get tested twice a week, I'll just take i I'll wear a face shield with a, with a cloth drape or, you know, I'll wear a bandana around my face. Look, a lot of these guys, they, they, they already carry bandanas, you know, because, you know, for, for the sweat already, it's, it's a symbol of, look, just pair, pull it up above your face and you technically are within compliance. Is it actually keeping everyone safe? No, a bandana is not gonna, is not going to keep everybody safe. It, it's very ineffective, but it does technically meet the requirement for face coverings. So if that's the situation that you're in, okay, fine, you're in compliance with the law, we can move on from there.
0: Great. Thank you. I think that's been a big issue across the board, but um on dairies it's a little different because they're working often independently, but still still kind of an issue. Great.
2: But it's most important again if that's happening, just make sure everyone's staying apart from each other. And again, these are these guys are outside and you know, we, we've already seen being outdoors is going to be, you know, with uh, the most air supply, it's, you're going to be the least likely to contract there. It, you're most likely to contract COVID-19 indoors. So it is at least a, you know, to alleviate some of the anxieties around that. Okay, that's a situation. Now, when they are going indoors, just wear a bandana, wear a mask, uh, some sort of cloth mask, because it's really at the end of the day, it's not about preventing yourself from getting sick. It is about the, those those cloth masks, not the N95s, those are actually really good for preventing you from getting anything. But the having a bandana or just a, a another homemade type of cloth mask or something you bought at the store and a little net gator, that's at least going to help you from spreading it to others. You know, and, and with the asymptomatic you know, types of cases or the people who have very light symptoms that they may not really realize that, hey, that headache, um, And actually is what, you know, that's actually COVID-19 creeping up on me. Oops. Uh, So that way, if they're at least wearing a mask, they're not transmitting as much to other people. And so it makes things at least somewhat safer for everyone else.
0: Kevin, we have another question. Um, Can we define indoors? And I've actually heard this quite a bit from dairy producers and just general, generally out and about in the community, I think with the the tent structures that are being built or um, like on a dairy, for example, you might be in an open air barn. Is that outdoors or indoors?
2: I would say that indoors, in my opinion, is going to consist of, you know, four hard walls and a door. And if it, if it doesn't meet that requirement, then it's it's a hybrid indoor outdoor type situation i mean we're seeing in new york of places of people are are building full-on indoor you know uh you know indoors outdoors <laughs> you know they're turning these these you know uh yeah yeah like the french laundry is indoors <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it's technically it's outdoors but you're you just bringing the indoors outdoors and, and making it a hard structure um think we've seen that if it's three hard walls then that's um then then that kind of somehow circumvents the the except it's it's really uh up to um i think i think it's really going to come down to what the the health departments and the and and the different inspectors are going to you know claim and and you got to check with your jurisdictions
0: okay so technically if they're outdoors in a barn that's roofed but is open on all sides they should be okay Um, but Mm -hmm. if there's an issue we can kind of visit that specifically by jurisdiction great okay the big hot topic Kevin and maybe this is something we could cover um, is what to do when an employee comes to you and lets you know that they've been or calls you hopefully to let you know they've been diagnosed with COVID-19. This has kind of evolved a lot over the last eight months. So if this happens today, December third, how should that be handled?
2: So if they call you, that's easy. Hey, stay home. Also, here's um, you know if they have an email address or if they if they are one of the people who lives on on your uh, on your property, you can drop off a, a physical packet to them. But then you give, just give, let them know, give them the information on the, all their benefits, their workers comp, their FFCRA, or the California Supplemental Paid Sick Leave. Um, just give them the, the information on the benefits and, and return to work requirements and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, a, a close testing facility and, and what to do in those kinds of situations. So you, 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 give, them, you give them that information and let them know, hey, you're going to have to stay quarantined for 14 days um, in order to come back, you know, it has to be, you've gone at least one day without, uh, without a fever with that. Also, you didn't use any fever reducing medication like, um, like ibuprofen type things. And it's been 10 days since the onset of your symptoms or since the onset of, uh, or since the date that you took your, um, that you took your, uh, your positive COVID-19 test. Uh, not the date that you found out that you were COVID-19 positive, the date that you actually took the test. Because that's the important thing is, is, remember that these tests are snapshots in time. So it doesn't matter that I found out five days down the, down the road that, oh, I do have COVID-19, so now we're gonna start my time there. No, 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 because we, we're allowing that you can come back, if you're, especially if you're asymptomatic, you can come back 10 days after, after you tested. Well, okay, so we found out five days later But you were tested five days before that so that's when you start counting because that that test is a snapshot in time so now you only have to stay out for another week you know another five days and then you can come back in um if they if they are at work when this happens that's where it's going to be a little bit more um more tricky so you're going to have to immediately send that employee home now you want to isolate them now the good thing about dairies is all right cool everyone's isolated already um bye you know, walk out, uh, go to your car, go home, do your thing. Um, if you're in a non-dairy environment or if it's a, a much more, uh, like more of a factory type of setting, uh, in those kinds of situations, you really need to have a designated spot of, this is gonna be where we send, where we isolate COVID-19 or suspected COVID-19 cases. And you send them there, and so that way, they're not they're not going through the rest of the, the rest of the facility and potentially exposing other people, because what what they've come down with. So that, this is important also for you guys to understand is that what is a uh, every close contact is going to need to be informed that they that they were um, in close contact with someone who had or who potentially had COVID nineteen. Now, close contact has changed, so it used to be um you know you had to be within to be within close contact was within six feet of a person for 15 minutes not a problem you know i'm on the dairy i'm out i'm doing my thing i see you know i see jim and uh we talk for like 10 minutes or so and then oh hey gonna go back and i'm gonna go get some uh food gonna go back into the office gonna gonna go get some you know get the next group of cows who knows what's going on right but it was only 10 minutes or maybe 13 i got a watch i'm good it's not been 15 minutes nope it's changed 15 minutes cumulative over a 24-hour period so all those two minute you know two minute breaks you took to to talk with jim over in the uh, over in the main office and uh you know coming in coming you know going throughout the day and uh that adds up quick and next thing you know you've been exposed it's more than 15 minutes in a 24-hour period, and within six feet of that person. Now you have to go home. You know, so uh, we just need, you know we need to be aware of that because all of those employees are going to have to be informed that they've been potentially exposed now. Um, and then uh, you, we also need to then start talking with the employees uh, by phone or you know uh, figure out where were they uh, over the last two days? You know, so, so if they got, uh, if, they are, especially if they're, especially if they're symptomatic, especially, okay, when was the first day that you had symptoms? Okay, from there, go two days back. And that's the time frame that you need to find out all their close contacts, where they've been, and you need to inform all of those people, anyone who's within a cumulative 15 minutes you know, over, over 24 hour periods, dating all the way back two days before they, the onset of symptoms. And all of those people need to be informed. All of those people are gonna to need to go home. And every workplace where these employees were at, every work site is gonna have to shut down so you can clean it. And that's that's another thing. It's like, you gotta stop and you gotta clean. And, and it's the recommendation uh, is to stop for 24 hours before you even go in to clean. But if that's not feasible, which let's be real, this is—we're talking about berries here that that's you're not going to be able to stop operations for 24 hours. So you, you still have to wait as long as you feasibly can, and then go in to uh, to start um, cleaning everything again. And so it, it's it's a it's a quite a process what we're what we're facing when this happens. So.
0: Definitely, um, a question popped up in the chat. Uh, producer had an employee show up for work who was not feeling well, they had coughs, aches, etc. As she understood it from workman's comp, he needed to have a negative COVID test and a doctor's note releasing him to come back to work. Is that correct, that they need both? And she's assuming that he can use part of that 80 hours for the time he was away while he was waiting for those two things.
2: Yeah, while he's away, uh, he can use those 80 hours that would qualify, yes. Now uh, as far as uh, coming back, the uh, last guidance has been that um, you can't actually you know you, there's no need to require an additional testing in fact a lot of, a lot of jurisdictions won't even do a second test they'll test you once yeah. and then you're done' we don't, we don't care and so that's why the return to work requirements are uh, you know they've been put out of uh, let's see ten days uh, have passed since the symptoms and that they have um, that they haven't had a fever in 24 hours, and that their their uh, their symptoms have improved. So that's the other thing is that it doesn't actually have to go away. Um, technically, it doesn't have to go away. So if they have a cough, and you know it's a really really bad cough, and they have you know headaches, they have shortness of breath, and all that going on, okay. They you know 10 days go by, and they don't have you know that 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 big cough anymore. Um, but they, it's still a residual cough because a lot of people have have these residual effects so they, they still have this residual cough and um, but they haven't had a fever since uh, day one actually you know that's that's the one day and and then it's been 10 days since they you know since that first day where they had the fever and, and developed the cough but it's still kind of there they can actually come back um, in fact the CDC came down uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before and uh, they're Looking at revising their um, their return to work guidelines, instead of being the 14 days, and actually in some cases reducing down to 10 or even seven days, um, and so things are are actually in flux right now. That we are likely going to see um, something come out from California about that may you know that will address that. Um, then again, California does have a uh, slightly stir- uh, stricter standard than the CDC, so they may just say, you know, what? we're just not we're n- we're not going to do that. We're just going to keep with what we have already, and just to have to maintain the ten day rule.
0: Uh, so the 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 easy part of that is dealing with folks with symptoms or kind of determining when symptom onset began or ended. How about and what we're noticing a lot, at least what I've noticed a lot from producers I've communicated with is. These are very young, healthy guys that are working for them, and they often don't have symptoms. They're finding out in roundabout ways. You know, maybe they had a family member that tested positive, so they go in and get checked. How yeah. should we handle those those guys that may be asymptomatic? Or I, I guess, you know, testing is the key in that case.
2: Yeah. So the the good part about those guys is they're asymptomatic. There is potential that you can have them come back and continue to work, as we discussed earlier. That really is a last option though. That is a, uh, the big requirement actually to have the critical infrastructure exception apply is that you don't have any other employees that could cover down on that. And so that's a that's a huge deal actually, because, hey, you got 30 employees, you know, you don't need to have that employee come back, you know, most likely. You, you could have some guy just double up and, you know, take an extra shift or, I mean, even if it comes down to, um, you know, having to pay some people out for a seventh workday, if they volunteer to do a seventh day, I mean, they may come down and say, nope, you you, you don't qualify because tech, you can have employees do that. You know, you're, if people are, are willing to work a seventh workday, then uh, then you're good to go and, and you can't have the exception. So, I mean, it, the local health department is really going to be the one who determines that and you need to make sure that you are working in, uh, with the local health department in, in your jurisdiction. And so you got to make sure that you just jump through all their hoops and that you are um, you're keeping all the PPE following all the, all the right you know procedures to make sure that everyone's being protected. And then um, let's see. Uh, oh yeah so uh, returning to work for asymptomatic uh, workers. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the, the big thing is that we can, um, we can try with, we'll try to get the, that, um, try to get that, that critical infrastructure exception in, uh, but if they are asymptomatic and they've been tested and they've tested positive, um, they still have to make, have to stay out for the minimum amount of, uh, 10 days have passed since the day of their first COVID-19 test. Um, hopefully that will change now that. Uh, the CDC is seems to be uh, relaxing on their on their um, you know their standard a little bit, but uh, for the time being, is we're still going to abide by the uh, minimum 10 days that have passed since their first positive test. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think you wanted to know about something about the new Cal-OSHA emergency yeah. rule. Uh, yeah.
0: I feel like that's the hottest topic the last couple of days, it, as word has gotten out about that, it's been, you know, there's causing a lot of heartburn in the industry. So if we could kind of cover that, and I know you mentioned, Kevin, that it, it, there may be parts of that that don't actually stay as law, but let's maybe talk about what folks can do to comply with that.
2: Yeah, so for the, the most important thing for right now is um, uh, the face coverings rule that we've already discussed of uh, right now, it's just, you're going to have to, everyone's just going to have to mask up. Uh, if they're outdoors and, and more than six feet away from each other, they don't, but they at least have to have some sort of cloth face covering on them, at the t- you know, whenever they potentially are within six feet of someone else. Um, and if they can't do that, then a face shield with a cloth drape, or you can opt to start testing your employees twice a week. And uh, that is going to be on uh, those employees are going to be tested on the clock, and the employer is going to have to pay for that. So if you don't want to pay all that additional money and lose the benefit of your employee for multiple hours, because uh, if anyone here has been tested or knows someone who's who's gotten tested, is those lines actually take a long time? You know, uh, in a lot of places for you to actually get that test. So that employee could be gone for up to half a day, maybe even the entire workday, just waiting to get that test. And that's all going to be that's all going to be on the clock pay, and that test that test itself you're going to have to pay for. So it, it's just going to be a, a smarter option. Just can, you know, work with the employee, let them know, hey, just carry the mask on you. The next thing, uh, in, in the big important ones are uh, the outbreaks. So they they've changed uh, what happens with an outbreak. So an outbreak now is considered. Uh, if there have been three or more confirmed, uh, laboratory confirmed COVID-19 cases in the workplace within a 14 day period. So once uh, a place of employment has triggered the COVID-19 outbreak uh, procedures, then that company will have to abide by Cal OSHA's outbreak regulations until there's been no new COVID-19 cases detected in the workplace for 14 days. And what's gonna happen there is, every employee at the exposed workplace has to get tested when, when there's an outbreak, every employee, and then they have to get tested at least once a week until the, until the outbreak is over. That means if you're lucky, if you are absolutely lucky and have the bare minimum time, so you get three employees that get uh, COVID-19 uh, within a 14-day period, and that's it, you guys never have another one. You still have to test every single employee twice that first week and then, then follow up the second week before before everyone's good to go. But it gets even more strict. So. We have another employee and another and another. And next thing you know, you've had 20 employees over a 30 day period, okay? not a 14 day period, a 30 day, an entire month. If you have 20 or more uh, new COVID-19 cases, you no longer have an outbreak, you have a major outbreak. And that major outbreak now turns into all of your employees are gonna have to get tested twice a week, twice a week. On the clock, you're gonna have to pay for all those tests. And that's gonna have to last all the way until 14 days have passed since no new COVID-19 cases have been detected at work and then on top of that you're going to have to uh, if there's a major outbreak then there it gets very expensive because what's going to happen now is that if for major outbreaks all the, the company is going to have to then go and fit the ventilation systems with MERV 13 or higher uh, efficiency uh, rated filters or as the highest rated efficiency filter, if you can't get the MERV-13, the highest rated uh, efficiency filter that you can get uh, that is compatible with your ventilation system. And you'll have to put that on everywhere at the work site. Um, You have to evaluate whether there's uh, portable mounted uh, HEPA filtration units or other air cleaning systems would reduce the risk of transmission. And if you find that, you're gonna have to implement those to the degree possible. And you're gonna, this whole time, you're gonna have to be jumping through all the hoops that Cal OSHA and the, your local health department are throwing up in place. Because can, you can be assured that if you have an outbreak or a major outbreak, Cal OSHA and your local health department are gonna be coming down and you. They are gonna be looking at this and they will most likely be adding additional factors and they'll, they'll be coming through and making sure, um, you know, most likely be making sure that things are uh, you know, within compliance, but they'll, they're likely gonna go way stricter than is needed because we've already seen that that's what's going to happen, because people have taken in California, have taken the the idea that better safe than sorry, Um, doesn't matter anything else, you know, whether, you know, whether they believe science one way or the other, you know what, there's any potential risk, we're just going to jump on the, the most extreme to make sure that there's as few chances possible of spreading COVID-19. So that's just the world that we're living in, we have a lot of fear going on, and we have to understand that, a lot of these officials really have—they—they uh, they are operating out of fear, and not just out of fear of, of coronavirus, but they're operating out of fear of uh, liability. And so they're going to do whatever possible to limit to limit their own liabilities, as well as um, you know, to limit what they you know what, what that individual may perceive as as a you know bubonic plague type of situation when we're, we're dealing with COVID-19. you know, they, they may be taking it to extreme measures out of fear and we just, we're gonna have to roll with that because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are in charge and, and setting the standards that we have to abide by right now. And so hopefully that'll change, um, but uh, for right now, that's what we're gonna have to do.
0: Okay, great. Well, Kevin, um... Is there any other updates you would like to share with anyone anything new that we should be aware of before we let you off the hook today
2: yeah so uh so th- there's also um in the calendar uh, regulations there are new issues about employer-provided housing and for transportation now employer-provided housing we in the dairy industry have a lot of those right and so you have to make sure that the housing is enough that allows for six feet of separation between people within the housing unit itself. And when you're signing housing units, you have to um, do it in, in certain priorities of so make sure that residents who are usually maintain a household together that they stay together and uh, as, as one cohesive unit. Uh, residents who work in the same crew or work together at the same workplace, um, is the second priority, so you're going to try to, to group those people together. And then the third, the third category, if once you've gone through everything else, you still have employees who uh, they don't usually maintain a, uh, a common household or uh, or a work crew or work site. That's the last resort. You're going to want to mix them because if one gets sick, they're now you know that group would be uh, spreading potentially spreading COVID 19 to multiple work sites or multiple crews, and and so we're trying to limit that. So keep it with them. the family unit then the work crew work site. And then finally, if, if there's no other options, then it's put the uh, last of the people together. Um, you also have to make sure that, it, you know, if it's a type of place that has, um, you know, multiple beds in the, in the in the area. One, you can't, you're not allowed to use bunk beds. I don't know if any of you guys have, a, have been doing that, but no bunk beds are allowed and you have to make sure that, uh, I don't know if anyone has had any experience with, uh, with the military or the uh, you know, military type setting of living in a bay, um, but, it's, but it comes down to basically what, uh, what that was like. So it's, uh, you, you have to make sure that people are, are sleeping alternating of head to toe. So the guy to your left and, and to your right, when, if, you, if you're laying in bed and you look to your left and your right, you're only seeing feet. And you, know, you, you look down and you know, across the way from you, and you can see the next guy's head. Right. So so you're you're, you're going uh, you're, you're trying to minimize where the uh, the the people are breathing on each other. Right? And so there's that. And then you would also have to have additional screenings or additional uh, cleanings that have to go on within that housing. And uh, we have to make sure that if there's any potentially exposed COVID-19 uh, cases that all of those people get isolated into their own separate place. And have their own separate uh, uh, dining facility, their own separate uh, bathroom and shower, and 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 all those amenities. And then, if you have any actually confirmed COVID nineteen cases, those have to be removed, uh, uh, you know, even further, and have their own separate facilities and their own, uh, you know, all all those different amenities on top of that. Right. So so it can these these problems can expand can uh, can increase exponentially very quickly. Uh there's also new uh employer-provided uh transportation requirements, um, which again kind of come down to the same thing as uh when we, the most important thing is to prioritize uh the people who are already being exposed to each other. So putting everyone who resides within the same housing unit, um, you know, you transport them within the same vehicles. Or if they work on the same crew or work site, uh, that those people are the next ones to transport together. And then only finally at the very end, if uh if, you know, you have employees who don't share the same household, work crew, work site, only if they can't find anyone else within those uh, boundaries, that's the time when you put them together in the same vehicle. And within the same vehicle, everyone has to wear a mask. Um, you know, they have to, uh, you know, maintain at least three feet distance from each other in all directions uh, during the operation of the vehicle. Um, the only time they don't have to wear a mask is if they're with, they're only with their house, the people that they share a household with. Um, you know, that kind of thing. so you need to be looking at that. you need to make sure that the the um, that the vehicle is being uh, cleaned, you know routinely between every between every trip. Um, that's another thing sorry, uh, actually I've mentioned is there's a every 15 to two, 15 minutes to two hours uh, is how often we're supposed to be going through and cleaning. All the you know frequently touched surfaces and doing all that, so that's going to be another disruption to to everyone's uh, business right now. Um, so you have to have someone go through with the uh, with EPA approved cleaners and and go through and clean you know all the doorknobs all, all you know don't share tools you know clean the tools all that kind of thing, um, and uh, you know you have to follow those kind of procedures. Now, when it comes to one one of the things that everyone needs to be aware of also is um, the alcohol-based hand sanitizers—they're not all the same. Do not use—you, everyone is prohibited, strictly prohibited in the state of California. Do not use methyl alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Strictly prohibited. Okay. Make sure it's—you uh, uh, know—it's it, just make sure you know look at the ingredients before you do it. Go buy something that that is uh, that is EPA approved, and and you'll be fine.
0: Quick question about the equipment sanitization. Um, in a setting where you're on a dairy and they're working in a milking shift, probably one guy covers either one side of the barn or one section of the barn. Is it appropriate to rely on your cleaning practices that happen between milking shifts? Because, you know, technically two people wouldn't be interacting with the same surfaces probably, but there's a, a super strict cleaning process that these barns are put through twice a day anyway. So, would that count? Or I think producers are a little nervous if they need to every two hours go in and, you know, spray stuff down or how that works.
2: So we're not talking about a, a deep cleaning every time. We're talking about going through and, and spraying down or, or wiping down the frequently touched, you know, the high touch surfaces. Right. So if it's not, some, if, if it doesn't qualify as a thing that is a, a free, you know, a, a high frequency touch surface. Then it doesn't need to be cleaned as as deeply so so those uh yeah those twice daily you know deep cleanings kind of going on will be fine but you still have to go within maybe like take a bottle of lysol spray if you guys have something like that and, and spray down the the doorknobs and things like that you know and the actual tool parts that you're holding um and if and if you're not sharing the tools between each other then it's not a, then that's not the issue the issue is you're trying to clean the high touch surfaces because Many people are touching those services. So you want to make sure that those are clean so that there's no uh, potential transmission. Now, if it's only one person that's touching all the all the items, then it's not as big of a deal and they can clean at a later time.
0: Okay, and same with, for example, vehicles, if we add a protocol where every time you get off of a tractor or out of a truck, you do a good wipe down, that should be sufficient.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's the frequently touched surfaces. Okay. So, so the the door handles and and the steering wheel, you know, shifters, those kind of things. Yes, wipe them down with a Clorox wipe or with uh, you know, if you have your own homemade be- uh, bleach solution, um, you know, that the you know, following the, the recipe from the CDC or the EPA, uh, you know, CDPH, uh, follow those you know, and uh, you can use that to wipe down. Leave it there for you know, for a few minutes, and then and then clean it off. Uh, that should be enough. Yes. Great. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's a, a brief overview of, of what we have. So, I mean, what we've done actually at, at Mono is we actually have a COVID nineteen uh, preparedness plan that that lays these things out in more detail, and actually, um, we actually have uh, a lot of the framework. So. The Cal OSHA requirements require that, that you have a specific IIPP for COVID-19 in addition to what you already have. Uh, it can all be with you know tied within the same within the same document, or you can have two standalone documents. But uh, what so we kind of did a thing that will be in compliance with that. That like an IIPP it still does need to be tailored down specifically to that individual uh, business. To so you guys are are in compliance and, and it does match all that. But it makes it we provide the framework for you and, and, and we take away a lot of the guesswork so we tell you explicitly this is what you need and this is what you can um you know what you need to assign a person to do this duty and we make it very clear so that way it's you know there's no question of what is going on great so, well
0: maybe we'll open it up to if there's any further questions from the audience who feel free to ask questions and um I'll just throw in there while folks are kind of formulating their questions. If if you have questions after the presentation or down the road, always feel free to email Darby, myself, or the office, or, um, you know, Kevin directly, we can provide your email address if that's okay, Kevin. Yeah. And Absolutely. We really appreciate everyone taking the time today. This is a really complex topic and it is changing. So we'll check back in periodically um, on these webinars with, Kevin, or someone from RaMundo and Associates, just to make sure that we're providing the most up to date information. But um, were there any other questions out there? If you feel more comfortable, you can put them in the chat as well. And we will link um, the documents that were mentioned today, um, you know, the different legal documents that outline the regulations and um, how that folks can access. Kevin to work on a COVID-19 preparedness plan. We'll put links to all of that in our show notes and on our website as well. Great, well, it looks like you're off the hook, Kevin. It doesn't seem like we have any questions, but again, (laughs) we'll forward you anything else we get. And thank you so much for being here today and and making this presentation. It's been really, really informative and helpful.
2: Absolutely, I'm glad I was able to to help you guys out today.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week for Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. A special thanks to our contributors, Tiffany Lamendola of Blimling, Rochelle Echeverria of Lucheros Unidos de California, and Kevin Piercy of Armando & Associates. If you'd like more information about anything in this episode, including standards and practices related to COVID-19 or anything related to the market report, please feel free to send an email to mlema at wudairies.com or d-a-r-b-y at wudairies.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and have a great week, everyone. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairy's generous 2020 business sponsors. Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, f Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at w-u-d-a-i-r-i-e-s.com.